Welcome to the Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Mike Randall and Gus Kearns. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. We're so thankful, humbled that you would carve out some time for your week to follow the podcast and give us a listen. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Listen, we're going to continue this team preview series here. Mike and I have been working hard, carving out some uh, good listens. We're trying to get some good teams in your direction. And guess what we got for you today? That's right. We're going to dive deep, and we're going to go to the Ivy League. That's right. We're going to, we're going to talk some Harvard basketball, some Crimson. Unbelievably enough, all three, that's correct, you're going to hear four voices on this podcast all three of the beat writers from the Harvard Crimson. You can follow their stuff at thecrimson.com. And please give them a follow on Twitter at THCS Sports. That's a capital T, capital H, capital C, capital S, and then Ports, P-O-R-T-S. Steven Gleason, Troy Bocelli, Henry Zhu, all three of these fine gentlemen joined us for the podcast today to talk some Harvard basketball. We talked about the initial Ivy tournament. What were the results of it? What was the vibe on it? Did we feel like it had positive results for the league and positive results for Harvard? We talked about a possible Jason Tatum comparison. That's right. We're talking Ivy League and, and a Jason Tatum comparison uh, for, the, for the Boston Celtics. We also talked about the team vibe and what they're looking forward to for this season. So please enjoy this team preview series that Mike and I have been working hard on giving you all preseason. And guys, please enjoy the start of the season. We know that uh, you've viewed a couple games already, so we, we hope that you're enjoying the start of the season much as we have. And hey, if, speaking of enjoyment, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please hit up iTunes, give us a review on there. Any of re- positive reviews that the screen the screener receives, we will gladly give a shout out and an ahoy to on a, a podcast down the road. So please don't be afraid to do that. And if you like what you're listening to, you know, give the podcast a follow at SDS podcast efficiency of keystrokes, of course. And uh, if you like what you're listening to uh, hit us up on Gmail, SDS podcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy this conversation that we have with Steven, Troy and Henry of the Harvard Crimson. Again, you can find their stuff at the crimson.com and uh, give Henry a follow as well. Henry was really playing point guard as far as this uh, podcast came together. You can find Henry at Z-H-U-H-E-N-88. So give him a follow on Twitter. Uh, thank you, uh, listeners out there. And please enjoy conversation about Harvard basketball. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Screen the Screener College Basketball Podcast listeners out there. The podcast is going to continue our team preview series. And we're lucky enough to have the Harvard beat writers from thecrimson.com. Not only do we have one, we have three. We have Henry Zhu, we have Stephen Gleason, and we have Troy Bocelli, all from Harvard Crimson. You can find their stuff at thecrimson.com. Gentlemen, thank you for joining the podcast to talk Harvard basketball. You know, before we started recording, you guys mentioned a little bit about Crimson Madness. Do you guys just want to start the conversation there and talk about a three-point contest and maybe the dunk contest and perhaps the scrimmage that took place on campus? Yep. So, first of all, uh, thank you for uh, having us on. Uh, it's a it's a cool thing we're doing here, and uh, just thank thank you for um, hosting us. And um, just in terms of Crimson Madness, um, it's kind of just our preseason prep pep rally trying to get getting the school excited about the season and um, featuring some of our newer players 
and what we had that we, what we had um it was like three three weeks ago it was just like a three-point contest a slam dunk contest a little inner inner squad scrimmage and we saw some really cool things from from all the players and um i think we're in for a really good season oh fantastic one of those players is sophomore bryce aiken dude had an unbelievable freshman year six foot guard is back after his stellar freshman season he averaged about 14 and a half points a game I guess the question is, will his shooting numbers improve from the field and from three-point land? Does he have that little burst or change of speeds or change of gears that allows a six-foot-nothing guard to find college success? What improvements did he make in the offseason, and what makes him so special? Like, what makes him a really a special player that you have to keep your eyes on? Talk about Aiken a little bit. Yeah, so I think I think one thing that's cool about this year's team with them being so young is a lot of the younger guys have a lot of – weight on their shoulders, but I think this class is definitely ready to handle it. And Bryce kind of like leads that, um, like talking to his teammates, uh, talking to Coach Amaker, this is kind of like Bryce's team now. And so I think he's embracing that not as like more pressure or more weight on his shoulders, but like that's his role as point guard. He's used to, he's been doing that since he was at uh, the Patrick Academy in North Jersey. Like he's used to having this, the pressure of leading the team uh, and a team that has really high expectations so I think he's definitely ready for it in terms of improvement I think that just like the unit like the more they played all seven sophomores got like significant minutes last year Corey and Tommy and Wisner as now juniors like now that they've had a year together to kind of gel um, and play 30 games or 28 games together last year um, I think just every day they're more comfortable with one another and Bryce kind of leads that I think he has confidence I mean he had a couple games where he won them the game by himself. Um, the Ivy tournament game, he was kind of the only guy who could consistently score. Um, so the scoring is going to be there. And I think just like the cohesion with other guys like Corey as a shooter, Seth on like the wing or as like a small four. Um, I think having those guys, that cohesion where I think this year Bryce will still have those games where he goes for 28, 30, 32, whatever. Um, but I think, you know, trusting um, the guys around him is going to be key for them this year because they have a lot of guys coming back from uh from a year ago yeah one of those guys coming back Corey johnson six five junior is he going to be in the starting lineup can he develop into like a double digit ivy score this year the kid can shoot it he, he shot it over 40 percent from three it seems like he's like he would be the perfect wing like you mentioned alongside aiken and then we'll get to towns a little bit later uh what kind of leadership role does he play on the floor and in the locker room i know you mentioned that aiken has really taken over as the team but Corey is one of the upperclassmen. So just talk about his influence as an upperclassman and a consistent shooter outside on the wing. Yeah, I mean, I think Corey's question in the starting lineup is still, you know, I think that's still up for grabs at this point. I'm not sure. Sure. Or at least on our end, we can't really discern that. Um, But I do agree that he he does bring a veteran presence to the team. And regardless of whether he's coming off the bench or in the starting lineup, he can definitely make an impact. I think last year, one of at least one of our worst games in conference was at Columbia, and I think he led the team with 21 points um, and just had an overall amazing game. So he can definitely score. I think his big biggest issue is, is probably on the defensive end, where he he definitely has struggled since freshman year. But I think there's obviously room for improvement. And in terms of leadership role, like I, I don't know how things shake out. Um, currently, I think him and Tommy stepping up to the plate next year as captains, and I think they both definitely holds senior sort of roles on the team. Um, But I do think he could carve out a role, whether it's off the bench or in the starting lineup. 
nothing, yeah, there's nothing wrong with bringing a, a 40% three-point shooter off the bench. That totally makes sense to me. You know, you mentioned a couple of the other guys, and you mentioned the, the seven players in the sophomore class. You got Justin Bassey, you got Aiken, and then, of course, you got uh, six, seven Towns. You mentioned him as like kind of a, a stretch small ball four. Uh, Towns had a great year last year, 12 points a game with solid shooting percentages. Can you guys just give us a little scouring report on Towns and then maybe um, talk a little bit about Bassey too? Like what influence does he have? You talked about how the class is bonding. Uh, you used like their, their, their cohesion was a good word to explain them. They're really invested in the process. They're trusting their great coaches. What, what else makes this like particular sophomore class kind of special and what makes like, you know, Towns as a standout player in the Ivy specifically? Well, so with Towns, um, I feel like he really plays like um, Jason Tatum right now on the Celtics, just in terms of his um, ability to create his own shot outside on um, three-point range and um, attacking the basket. Um, that's, so, a, that's a great comparison. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, so um, just in terms of his ability to complement uh, Bryce Aiken, I feel like Aiken is more of an athletic wing into the uh, athletic uh, point guard into um, the paint and really being able to uh, kick it out to Towns, I think, um, compliments Amaker's offense a lot. And then speaking of Bassey, I, I, I'm really high on him too. He's a really solid from um, beyond the three-point line. And I think he's personally one of Amaker's best shooters. And just having all these compliments around around Byers Aiken, as well as just being able to compliment Aiken on, on defense as well, I think just really adds a lot to the team as a whole. And I think we spoke uh, we spoke about how the freshmen had a had a huge role um, last year um, for Amherst team, and I think they'll take up the majority of the minutes again again this year. Yeah, it's, it seems that way. And if you have that much talent in that class, then why not do the same? You know, kind of copycat what Michigan State is going to do with their sophomore class, and just give them the bunch of minutes and give them the ball handling responsibilities, and, and put them in late game. Uh, situations where they're going to have to make uh, late shot clock decisions. And if you have players like Towns and Aiken, I, I think that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned Coach Amaker. He's kind of done it all, right, guys? I mean, he's been a success- successful player, coach in the Big East, coach in the Big Ten. But it seems like this feels like home for Coach. What characteristics and traits does Coach Amaker bring to the program in an impactful way while trying to adhere to the firm, you know, Ivy and Harvard academic standards? It's like a tricky situation to bring in players that fit into that mold. Talk a little bit about Coach's strengths while working within the limited guidelines and what makes him so successful on the sidelines. Yeah, I think like if you're looking at like the resurgence part, of, or not really resurgence, kind of like the coming to prominence of Harvard basketball, I think it all starts with Coach Amaker. He took over uh, in 2007 uh, after Michigan Seton Hall, like you mentioned. But he's really turned the program around. This is 11th season. Harvard's only other tournament appearance before he arrived was 1946. And so there wasn't really a basketball history here. Coach Amrickle always talks about like the Harvard brand and kind of the name that that can bring, both in terms of like, you know, resource in the Boston community and, um, just like the name it brings, but then also with recruiting, um, like this sophomore class, like while it's like an incredible Ivy League, like it's also a top national class. Um, like they were all top hundred guys, and so I think with a program like Harvard, he's really I think the longevity says a lot in terms of you know the arena got newly renovated, like they're playing in the Wooden Legacy. I think that like he's really grown it now, where it's like oh, I'm going to be th- here three or four years to get back in like the big East or the big 10. Um, I think he was really seeing it more as like he can build this program up from scratch and make it his own. And I think like the athletics department here gives him the resources between like, you know, renovating the arena and, you know, kind of giving him some, some perks as coach 
um, that he might not he might not get uh, elsewhere, and he's kind of really embraced that, um, brought in great talent, scheduled really tough games, kind of brought Harvard basketball to a level that's uh, never been before, kind of runs it like a business, very professional, very hardworking, players love him, media, we, we love talking to him. Yeah, that, it's, it seems like he's a. It seems like he's a great quote and always a straight shooter as well, right? For you guys, absolutely. And I think the players are kind of an extension of him. I mean, like they kind of buy into his like mantras and phrases, but also just like on the court, like very well disciplined, emphasize like defense. Um, I think for the past four kind of five years, like Siani Chambers was kind of like him on the court, like Amaker on the court, um, and now Bryce is kind of like uh, gaining that but like you know with amateur coach teams like they're they're gonna play good defense they're gonna like play hard and they're gonna like give you their best shot like regardless and I think that all starts with him yeah that that makes total sense uh and if you're gonna have your players like display great habits that their coach is preaching over and over again I mean that's a recipe for success right there I mean and the next place we were going to go is, you know, what, what's the team vibe or identity? And you, you kind of mentioned a couple of those while talking about Coach Amaker. Every Ivy team in March is now viewed as dangerous, thanks to you guys, thanks to Yale. Um, when March rolls around, every power conference coach says, I hope I, I avoid that Ivy team in the 11, 12, or 13 seed range. What do you think sets this Harvard team apart that might carve its way like into a top 10 seed or maybe even that dangerous 8-9 game? Number one seeds would hate to see Harvard there waiting in the 8-9 game after they win the 1-16 game. What what else makes this Harvard team special? What's the vibe around this team? Get, give us a little uh, – take us, like, into the practice floor or into the locker room and, like, just talk about what, what the identity or vibe of this particular Harvard team is this year for the 2017-2018 season. What would probably be the most definitive is, is you know, that it, it's obviously a very young team. You know, it, it's, you know, at – I estimate that on the court, we'll probably have five sophomores on on the court for a non-insignificant amount of time. But those sophomores bring so much experience from freshman year. I think historically, Coach Amaker is someone who hasn't played freshman much. I think all those tournament runs were pretty much really upperclassmen heavy, uh, but this is completely different. I think Bryce Aiken, Seth Towns, Chris Lewis, even Robert Baker at the end of the season Henry Welsh all played significant minutes their freshman year. And I think that's what really differentiates this class is how much on-court experience they have coming out of their freshman year. And I think that that's what's going to make them dangerous come March. Because I think, you know, uh, talking to them at their last media conference, they sort of talked about their their experience getting eliminated from the Ivy tournament. And it seems like it's something that's really stuck with all the sophomores. So I think, you know, they're coming. I, I think vengeance is one of the words that they used in that conference. And I think they are coming back with the vengeance. So I think the vibe is is more or less that even though they're young, they're very much experienced, and I could see them making a run in March if they wanted to. And just to add on to that, I think one thing that's different about this team is like you know it's, it's kind of been a thing the last couple of years, and Amaker's gotten a lot of questions about. It. It's a very big team, nineteen guys on the team, and so you know going into the year after Amaker brought in like the seven person class, there, coach, how are you going to like manage like twenty personalities? Are you going to have like are you going to have like different uh, clicks on your team? Like, but I think there is a real like cohesion. I think everyone brings something different. Everyone from guys who aren't going to see time in the game, who are like pushing guys in practice to the Bryce's to the Seths. And I think um, it's like a very close knit group, obviously very young, but I think 
they gel well together. The guys generally like each other, really look up to Coach Amaker. And I think this thing where it's all like, I hate to use this cliche, but it's kind of like the next man up thing where playing in the Ivy League, you have these weekend bats to backs. And so you might only go like eight deep one night, but like over the course of the weekend, like 13, 14 guys are going to see, are going to see time just because, you know, fresh legs. And like, obviously this Harvard team is deep and talented and like all seven sophomores, probably three or four of the, juniors some of the freshmen are going to see time so there's kind of this like I don't really see this like coach like why am I only playing like 18 minutes a game it's kind of like they want to win um and I think that comes first and I think this like vengeance after the Ivy tournament they definitely all the bad taste in their mouth from that um and so I think there's definitely that like hunger to win no matter what well there's there's nothing wrong with coming off a loss and then bringing back almost the identical group the following season or following game it sounds like that's the setup here for Harvard. They have really taken that loss hard in the Ivy tournament last year, and now they're looking forward to that. That makes perfect sense. I know this is we're a little go a little off topic here. Do you guys just want to give us a little feel about how the Ivy, like, you know, what what about the Ivy tournament? Did it work? Do you feel like it was an advantage for the conference as a whole? What was your guys' take on the first initial Ivy postseason conference? Do you feel like the right teams were in, and do you think it was the right move for the conference overall? I mean, I think. I can't remember what the quote was from Coach Amaker, but he said, you know, we're a two seed, so I'm absolutely happy that we have the Ivy tournament. Otherwise, we wouldn't have played any postseason basketball last season. So I think in that regard, it does make it does make the conference really interesting. Uh, the top four seeds get in. And I think if I'm not incorrect, last year, going into the last weekend, team, uh, like everyone four to six had, I mean, four to eight, had an opportunity to be that four seed going into the last weekend. So. It definitely made that last weekend all the more exciting. Um, I think what ended up happening happening was Penn beat us on a buzzer beater in Columbia. Ultimately lost, so Penn made it into the tournament. So that last seed was a sort of throw up. And I think for a lot of teams that historically at the end of uh, at the end of the conference season were sort of playing meaningless games, it made it really interesting going into that last week. Uh, so in that regard, I think it was really exciting. Um, I think uh, the reason people might have been opposed was that last year Princeton went obviously undefeated in conference. Right. And so the risk of losing in in the Ivy tournament after going undefeated in conference was sort of was probably a little scary on their end. I think the tournament itself was a lot of fun. Um, I think it was there, there was questions surrounding the, the question of home field advantage. It was at the Palestra in Philadelphia, which is a really, really cool facility, but um, during the Penn-Princeton game, it was sort of clear that, you know, there were obviously more Penn fans. And then that game went into overtime during the tournament itself. So I think there were definitely questions about whether or not home field advantage because it wasn't a plaster played a role. It's a great facility. Penn is, I think, expected to be the four seed again, so that problem might come up again. But I do think it's a great facility, and I think the Ivy tournament was ultimately a good idea just because it made a lot of those meaningless games at the end of the season uh, or that games that were traditionally meaningless uh, matter. Yeah. It created, it created an, an absolute authentic sense of urgency for those teams in the four five, six spots. It totally makes sense. It, it's just interesting because uh, one of our good friends of the podcast is a Columbia graduate and he was on the fence about it. And he said the exact same thing during that final weekend, it gave every team a little bit of an opportunity and a glimmer of hope. Like, hey, we're going to play some postseason basketball here, and we're going to play postseason basketball in one of the most iconic arenas, college basketball arenas in the nation, in the Pavilion. Uh, that makes that, that makes perfect sense. 
I mean, it's a palestra. And then I guess uh, almost last question here. Do you guys think you can talk about the pavilion at Briggs Athletic Center? It's one of the oldest venues in the nation. I think second or third oldest, uh, maybe behind uh, Rose Gym. Take us inside. Like, does that place get packed and get rowdy? Is it hard to get a ticket? And uh, should the Harvard, like BC traditional game be played there every year instead of flip-flopping back and forth? Give it, get, take us into a Harvard home game and like, what's the feel there? Is it, is, it, is it getting a little crazy with all the success that the Crimson have had? So yeah, definitely. Um, so I would say Harvard um, hasn't really had that basketball history of just just being at, at the top of the Ivies every season, but especially with Amaker coming in, his rebuilding of the program, we, there's definitely a lot of a new excitement on campus. And I think, as Steve mentioned earlier, just a lot of investment from the athletic departments in renovating the pavilion. And we actually got the chance to go in for the first time a few weeks ago. And it's just awesome. The uh, amount of upgrades they did from like the scoreboard, um, the locker rooms, um, the court, and it just brings this new energy into um, the pavilion that honestly, my first impression when I came in freshman year was this, this is basically like a high school gym, but it's definitely gotten a, a, a really cool new fresh um just start to just start to the, the facility and and to i feel like this reflects on the the freshness the youth of the uh, team in general and i think attendance numbers have definitely gone up um every year i think we'll definitely see some more home games especially on our non-conference schedule in the up, in the upcoming years yeah it's, it seems like uh if you can improve that you know you mentioned earlier in the conversation like the improvement of the amenities uh, this just seems to be one of those improvements, and that's got to help with bringing in recruits. If you can bring them in and say, like, "Hey, check out the fresh new face facelift our uh, home court got," that makes perfect sense too, and kind of plays into like how Coach Amaker got those seven talented sophomores in. And then, uh, you know, last one, we'll get you out of here on this one uh, before some predictions for you guys. You know, we have the let's take a look at the schedule, right? We have those usual matchups. You know, we mentioned the BC game. You have uh, Vermont coming in. You're going to play a very young Kentucky team. you got St. Mary's, George Washington, Minnesota. And you guys mentioned that's a little bit of an aggressive schedule. Can you just talk about some of the opportunities that await Harvard here? And do you think that they're going to take advantage of some of these opportunities and maybe surprise in one or two of these games and, and play a, a Power 5 school like Minnesota or Kentucky close? Like, Talk about some of the opportunities on the schedule ahead for the Crimson. We were talking to Coach Amaker about this. I'm like, it's a kind of a weird schedule. They have two home games this weekend, and then I don't think they're – home again for like more than a month like uh, I think they only have four non-conference home games so definitely some tests early on uh, on the road I think the wooden legacy Harvard like in the past has done really successfully in these tournaments they won the inaugural battle for Atlantis um, they went they won in Alaska a few years ago they played in the Diamond Head and beat Auburn and BYU two years ago um, so they've definitely had success in in these tournaments that's kind of loaded with St. Mary's. They're such like a veteran, veteran team that's, you know, consistent under Randy Bennett. The Kentucky game is the one that's getting all the hype on campus. Obviously, like getting to play a program like that that's top five. I know the guys on the team are very excited about that opportunity to go to Rupp and to play uh to play at a venue like that against like such a talented uh Kentucky team. The one on my radar and like a team that I'm very high on is uh the Minnesota team. I mean, I've seen some sites say that they're like a dark horse to win the Big Ten. Their backcourt with Amir Coffey and like Nate Mason is, I would put them up against almost anyone in the country. So I think that's going to definitely be a test. And it'll be a cool test. Like it's on the road in December. And like, I think that'll be a great test for 
especially for Bryce um, going up against uh, Coffee and Mason, uh, two of the top guards, um, will be cool. I think the guys are ready, and like I think playing these tough road tests is really, uh, really going to be be good for them. Come Ivy, especially, I think that like you know Vermont and then a lot of the other you know Northeastern BU like teams we play kind of every year are like a good test. But I think between Minnesota, St. Mary's, and Kentucky, if they could. I don't know. I would not be surprised if uh, they won at least one of those games. Yeah, I think if you're if you're scheduling as aggressively as Coach Amaker is, you're looking not only you're looking just to get like you know improvements on your RPI number or 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 your uh, strength of schedule or or type of that type of situation. I think with this team, you're looking to win one of those games. You're looking to win two yeah. of those games. Like they're yeah, I don't think they're. It's just like window dressing for this Harvard team. I think they're 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 a legit threat. You know, maybe maybe the Kentucky team, maybe not. But I think every place else, like you mentioned, I, I think it's game. I think I think Harvard's live. All right, so we'll get you out of here on this, guys. Thank you so much for joining the podcast, uh, dropping some knowledge on Harvard and, and and the Ivy overall. All right, give us some predictions for the season. How do you feel like they're going to do uh, in the Ivy League? Do you think they're the favorite coming in like many others do? And uh, do you think they have the capabilities and the manpower and the experience to make a little noise in March. What do you guys think is uh, in the play, play fortune teller, look into the crystal ball. What's, what's going to happen with this Harvard team? I mean, I think like Steven mentioned, I, I could definitely see us winning some big games in the non-conference schedule and sort of perhaps putting us on the map a little more, but in the conference schedule, I think the way, the way I see it shaking out is I could see a sort of, you know, 11, three finish for all top three teams or a sort of, 12 and two finish for all top three teams going into the Ivy league tournament. Uh, once we're there, I think I, I like our chances. I don't, I don't want to say, I think we're the best team in the conference. I think Yale definitely brings some, some really good talent back with Makai Mason. Um, I think Princeton has some also really talented, arguably one of the most talented front courts in Devin Kennedy and Miles Stevens. So I think, you know, I think Yale and Princeton, just like last year, along with us, are going to be the teams to beat in conference. Um, so I think in contrast to last year, I think last year everyone more or less unanimously agreed that Princeton was the best team in the conference and they ended up going to a tournament. So I think that that was, you know, that was great for the conference. They gave Notre Dame a great game in the tournament. But I think this year it's, it's really, if, if I could pick any year to have a really even matchup, it would be this one, I think. It totally makes sense. Uh, you mentioned Stevens. You, you mentioned Mason. Like, there's legit players in the Ivy League this year that any opponent would be scared of. That makes perfect sense. So I, I could see there. You know, I, I think Harvard, Yale, and Princeton are all absolutely evenly matched going into the season. I think. Yeah, and I and I expect that they're you know will trade wins amongst those three and all be the top three seeds going into the tournament. Um, you know, barring injury or anything else crazy. Yeah, and what one thing that's interesting to me is with those top three, they're all very different and all have very different strengths. Like I think Yale with Mason back and then their two stud sophomores and Jordan Bruner and Mia Oni, that that's kind of their core group. Princeton has like the loaded backcourt. But I think Harvard is probably like I mean, this hinges on like the front court development, but like could be the most balanced of the three, which is interesting to say because last year, especially during the Ivy Tournament, it was kind of like Bryce and a couple other guys who just like would, you know, get open shots. But I think Harvard could potentially be the most balanced team in the league, which will be which will be fun to watch. I think between, you know, Bryce and Seth kind of having, you know, they'll probably do the line share of the scoring, but you know, there could be a game where Chris Lewis has twenty points or it might be a game where Corey goes off and hits like seven or eight threes. So I think like 
balance wise, this team's in a good spot. I think come March, any whoever ends up winning the Ivy could definitely win a game if not make it to the second weekend. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I like the feel, the vibe of this uh, this particular Harvard team. But as you mentioned, like Yale's done it before, and you mentioned that Princeton gave Notre Dame all it can handle last year. So whoever whoever gets the invite and wins the tourney is going to give somebody uh, major issues in March. Guys, we just want to say thank you to Stephen Gleason, uh, Troy Bocelli, and, and Henry Zhu from the Harvard Crimson. You can find their stuff at thecrimson.com, and you can give them a follow at capital T, capital H, capital C, capital S, and then courts. So I guess the THC Sports. Give them a follow on Twitter. Gentlemen, we just want to say thank you so much for joining us, joining the podcast. And good luck this season and uh, hope everything goes well and you guys stay healthy. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving us a couple minutes. Yeah, thanks for thank having you. us. Thank you.